I'm Scott Dworkin, and you're listening to The Dworkin Report. My guest, Max Chafkin, is a journalist at Bloomberg Businessweek who wrote a probing book about one of America's most powerful and secretive tech billionaires. The contrarian, Peter Thiel, and Silicon Valley's pursuit of power is about the co-founder of PayPal, who went on to become a major influence in Facebook as an early investor and the founder of Palantir, a mass surveillance company with extensive government contracts. For Max Chafkin to take on the subject of reporting on a top Trump supporter who personally built bridges with Facebook's embattled CEO is no minor feat of journalistic courage. Consider that Teal bankrupted the outlet Gonker by bankrolling a lawsuit against them in retribution for reporting on him. In this case, Max says that while he has heard Teal takes issue with some of the reporting in his book, what he reveals is nothing short of stunning. Peter Teal's role as the co-owner of Palantir, a government contractor, who made a political visit to build bridges between Facebook, where he's a board member, to Jared Kushner at the White House, at a key moment before last year's election, amply demonstrates how central his influence was to Donald Trump's grip on power. The outcome of the meeting was that Mark Zuckerberg agreed to allow Trump's disinformation to stay on the ubiquitous social platform. Here's my interview with Max Chafkin. I'm here with author and journalist Max Chafkin, whose new book, The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power, just hit the shelves. Max, thanks for taking the time for the pod today. How are you? Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, thanks. I, I wanted to start by asking you to introduce yourself, your journal- journalistic career to our listeners and whatnot. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, I've been basically covering the tech industry, uh, you know, as a reporter and editor uh, for for past 16 years. Uh, I'm at uh, Bloomberg Business Week right now, um, and uh, you know, I got interested in this topic and the idea of writing a book about Peter Thiel just because you know, he was everywhere in the tech industry. And, and I mean, initially that was kind of like my, the, the core interest. I mean, basically had been covering this, this world for, for more than 10 years and just seeing, um, Peter Thiel kind of behind inside and around pretty much every big, you know, sort of venture capital deal, every company. And also, and I think kind of more importantly, Peter Thiel as this kind of ideological, you know, lodestar for the industry, this person who kind of helped create a lot of the ideas and kind of the animating force behind the success of companies, you know, like Facebook, which of course Teal had had played a big role in as the first outside investor and um and you know key key uh mentor to Mark Zuckerberg, longtime board member. Um and all that I think would be enough, you know, for a for a book. You know, he's he's arguably, you know, the most important um figure in the tech industry, the most influential. Um, but of course he also has this um, incredibly interesting kind of political uh, life as as both a, as an early supporter of Donald Trump um, and and kind of a key player in the rise of the alt right you know far right and I think who will be you know going forward you know really important player in the political ecosystem and I think that you know when you combine that with the fact that he's involved with these companies that just have an enormous influence over our lives you know I felt like somebody really had to had to do this book had to kind of explore kind of what he believed and who he was who he was all about. And, 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 you know, that's what I tried to do. And and the Teal runs a a data company, I guess, with government contracts. What did you find out about that company that folks should know? 
Yeah, so so that company is called Palantir. Um, it's uh, incredibly controversial uh, because it is a data mining uh, company. It's founded um, not long after 9-11 in this kind of moment where, you know, we as a country and in particular, particular, you know, kind of the, you know, intelligence apparatus of the United States and the FBI were, were really feeling like we had missed warning signs that, that you know, that led to 9-11. That, and that if we had just sort of looked at all the data that was being generated, you know, travel records, phone records, and so on, they might have been able to spot some of this um, money moving around, uh, so, might have been able to spot these terrorist cells, you know, before before they showed up. And that, of course, you know, makes a lot of sense. And it was a, a very successful sales pitch um, th- that was made by Teal and, and his allies. And the company has grown a lot since then. And, and I think um, this approach that Palantir uh, it follows this data mining approach has raised a lot of questions about privacy because the thing about data mining is, you know, it doesn't sound that bad to just oh look at you know who you were calling or or, or like your 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 travel records or or whatever or or your Facebook data. All of that data doesn't sort of looks pretty benign, but when you have it and when you put it all together, you can learn a lot about somebody. So if somebody looks at you know your Facebook data, they they can tell probably you know if you're pregnant. What's your sexuality? Um, are you cheating on your spouse? You know, a lot of stuff that I think, you know, that people don't actually explicitly put on Facebook, but which could be kind of inferred based on um, activity that you're doing. So that raises all sorts of privacy questions. And then there is this this, this kind of a political question, because after after Donald Trump is elected with 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 a uh, nice assist from Peter Thiel, Palantir, you know, basically got on fire. It, it landed a whole host of government contracts, um, you know, both with the U.S. military and with a bunch of, of of key government agencies. And and I think there is there are questions about to what extent, you know, to what extent those contracts were political and to what extent they were, um, you know, the result of having uh, a founder and a you know majority or, or uh, uh, a major shareholder, Teal is the the biggest shareholder in Palantir. Um, also, have this important role um, in the Trump administration. So, so it so so it's a successful defense contractor, but 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 certainly a controversial one. Curiosity, you know, who gets access to that data? Can it be purchased, or, or how does it, how does that work? Well, so what Palantir will say, and I think it's probably important to say this, is they don't actually control the data, right? But they make this software that makes it easy for uh, various entities to look into data. And that and that data is going to depend on the client. So, you know, if they're doing business with the federal government, right, then then you, you assume the federal government has access to tons of, you know, it, it, potential intelligence data and, and things like that. Um, if they're doing business with your bank, uh, as they do, uh, you know, they work with a lot of banks, then they're going to have access to, you know, a bunch of your, you know, banking records or whatever. But but again, Palantir isn't necessarily um, uh, isn't necessarily seeing this. What 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 who the per, the people who are seeing it are the are the are the clients, and that okay. So that might make you feel better because uh, assumedly it's like not like Peter Thiel is looking at your banking records. But then there's a question of do you trust your bank? Do you trust um, you know U.S. intelligence? Uh, and 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 at times do you trust um, you know police departments? Palantir has worked with a lot of police departments, and at times Palantir has kind of um, I would say look the other way or or fail to stop some some really bad abuses. So in the book I talk about there were these um, sales calls that that the Palantir um, salespeople would go on right where they show off the software to like a police department and inevitably somebody in that sales meeting would say hey can you uh, can you look up my uh, ex girlfriend or something like that and the Palantir salespeople you know as it was described to me as I describe in the book you know they would say. 
well, technically, you know, you're not supposed to do that. But if you wanted to do that, you know, so there's an extent to which it's not so much Palantir that might be violating our, our rights and our civil liberties. It's it's their clients. But ultimately, by creating the software, you're creating some of the opportunity to 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 to, to create these violations. And there's a question about kind of the overall industry, you know, where where maybe Palantir is uh, behaving responsibly, but but can we be sure that other um, that that similar companies aren't sort of just taking it a, a step further and and doing something slightly even slightly you know more questionable than what Palantir is doing? So so there definitely are are reasons to be concerned about privacy. Although I I, I think um, you know it's 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 not only Palantir; it's it's part of an ecosystem um, that has has put our privacy at risk. Well, you also wrote in the book that uh, Teal was involved in setting up a meeting with Facebook owner Mark Zuckerberg, uh, one of my best friends, Jared Kushner, and uh, Donald Trump about the upcoming 2020 election back then. Um, and I saw a report about that today as well. But can you tell us what happened and why it's important? Yeah, so um, uh, so Teal is a long-serving board member of Facebook, you know, advisor to Mark Zuckerberg, kind of probably the most important kind of figure standing in between you know, Zuckerberg and the Trump administration, um, Facebook had been under a lot of pressure, both from Trump and from Trump's allies, to find ways to accommodate uh, uh, Trump. So there had been this kind of meme that was circulating in, in conservative um, circles and conservative media that said that Facebook was, you know, discriminating against conservatives, that they were not, uh, you know, that they were they were squelching conservative voices, you know, banning people, that sort of thing. Now, I think that the general, that complaint, uh, doesn't stand up to a lot of scrutiny. Conservatives have done um, very well on Facebook, as many um, you know will tell you, and as many told me. Um, but that meme had definitely picked up steam, and it was something that Facebook was certainly worried about. And so, in 2019, in late 2019, Facebook is under a lot of pressure because the Trump campaign had run these ads. Um, that were sort of making stuff that were, you know, kind of stretching the truth about Hunter Biden. There were um, the, there were these posts where um, th- that had been doctored to make it look like Nancy Pelosi was, you know, there, you know, there was something going on with her, you know, her well-being. Um, and, and there was a lot of pressure from the left, from folks like Elizabeth Warren for Facebook to crack down. Now, Zuckerberg um you know, gives this speech in October of 2019, where he sort of provides like an ideological defense of Facebook's decision to let Trump go. Then he goes to this meeting where it's Trump and Melania, uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka, uh, Teal and his husband and Zuckerberg and his wife. And in that meeting, which is secret at the time, and we don't know exactly what happened, but Teal afterwards told a friend, as I report in the book, that there had been an accommodation reached where where Zuckerberg kind of said that he was going to continue to allow, um, you know, continue this policy of not fact checking and would take a light hand, um, you know, against uh, conservative media, which which had been, uh, you know, under some scrutiny around misinformation, things like that. And, and that the Trump administration in turn would 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 go easy on Facebook, would stop, you know, railing, uh, you know, Trump had been railing on Twitter, you know, that Facebook needed to be broken up. And um, and 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 so we don't know for sure what was discussed. Zuckerberg denied and has called this idea, you know, totally ridiculous. But what we do know is that not long after that meeting, um, uh, Facebook creates this kind of new list of approved, um, you know, media outlets, one of which is Breitbart News, which again, you can, you know, Breitbart News today is maybe a little bit uh, more moderate than it was, you know, back when they had a special section of the site called Black Crime. But Breitbart News is pretty far out there. And there was this kind of general um, p- promotion, frankly, of 
um, of these kind of uh, hard right sites. And, and, and there was a lot of reporting that came out from BuzzFeed News showing that Facebook was kind of taking a light hand to regulating some of these figures. And, and you know, we saw this kind of conservative media ecosystem thrive on Facebook. Now, ultimately, and, and of course, Trump did not, you know, Trump, Trump didn't, you know, go any further, um, uh, carry through on any of his threats. Now, Trump lost the election. And, and I think eventually after January 6th, Facebook kind of cracked down a little bit more. But I think, you know, for the most part, this this alliance, you know, kind of worked and it worked to both people's advantage. Now, Trump lost, but he he didn't lose by that much. And and Zuckerberg preserved his position. And, and I think, you know, of course, his you know, the, the value of Facebook and the, and the impact of Facebook only grew during the, the Trump presidency. I agree. Well, a bunch of progressive groups, labor unions, progressive news outlets. We went, um, I led a meeting to the DC Facebook office and that was a few years ago. I need to find out the timing on that. Um, but we met there and then it, it was about not suspending progressive accounts, um, and fake kind of suspensions or, or spam around it. And then, then delaying and, and having no process. It was kind of like wizard of Oz. And so we wanted some kind of process behind that. Like, why are, you, why are we being suspended or why are we being removed? And so literally, I think it was a matter of days after that, um, my, my group's account got suspended. And it was just so frivolous because it was something about an article or a post from like two years before then. Um, I just found it very eerie uh, how controlling they were about that. And we call it the boot um, <laughs> that they put on us. But anyways, I, I just found that interesting because we did, we did have our meeting with them. And then after that, we did not have another one with them. Um, cause it was just, it, I, I don't understand exactly what they were trying to accomplish, but it wasn't helpful. And we decided to invest our money into other social media outlets, um, and our time especially, but, um, well- yeah, well, one thing that story kind of brings up for me, I mean, so I'm guessing Zuckerberg was not in that meeting, no, right? No, no. So yeah, that. I mean, there's, I mean, of course, there's Facebook is definitely talking to everybody, but there is something, um, you know, th- there was an equivalent meeting of that in 2016 where you know Zuckerberg was there, Teal was there, uh, you know, uh, you know, definitely uh, they were taking. Um, the complaints of, of conservatives very seriously, maybe more seriously than they were taking, you know, concerns from uh, uh, progressives. And the other thing, you know, uh, about these bans, I mean, you know, Facebook loves to talk about their policies as if they're very clear cut. And, you know, well, after, um, you know, my book came out, they, you know, there were there were responses that were like, well, you know, here's here's our policy. You know, we didn't agree to anything that Trump wanted because our policy had always been to not fact check politicians. But of course, like these policies are are subject to interpretation and and it's in the interpretation, you know, whether who gets banned, when they get banned, what justification is given, you know, that where where sort of the rubber meets the road. And, and Facebook has a tendency to kind of fall back on on this like very kind of, you know, presenting reporters and the public with like a very clear set of rules or something like that. But the rules are never, it's always a little bit muddier because there's always going to be kind of human judgments that come into play. And it's in those human judgments where the company is going to, you know, potentially shade things in in one direction or another. Um, But we read your book. It also says Teal has a significant ties, I guess, to neo-Nazi activists who rebranded themselves as alt-right. Who is Teal? Why is Teal, an important figure for that community. And um, what do you think his goals are in meeting them? Well, I think it's important to say, um, I, I think that slightly overstates 
um, the, the, you know, what, what happened? I mean, I'm, I think Teal, so he definitely was close to members of the alt-right. He definitely was exploring, uh, you know, and meeting with some, some very out there people, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, or Milo, uh, you know, who was, you know, pretty, you know, pretty far out there. Uh, uh he did not meet with Richard Spencer, who I, you know, I think is, is probably, you know, more of a, like a neo-Nazi or was a neo-Nazi anyway. I think he kind of drew the line there, of course, you know, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty extreme, you know, I, I mean, I guess glad there was a line, but, uh, <laughs> but like when you're, when, when your big defense is, well, Hey, I, I didn't meet with Richard Spencer, you know, you've, you've kind of gone pretty, uh, pretty far down the rabbit hole. Now I think, uh, Teal has been, you know, very interested in these kind of far right provocateurs, people who are pushing the envelope of what you can say. We're walking, you know, right up to the line on race or gender, um, uh, and sometimes crossing it. So, you know, in in college, when he 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 ran this um, uh, college newspaper, the Stanford Review, Teal, you know, one of his close friends, this this guy Keith Raboy, who is. Um, you know, very successful venture capitalist now got into trouble for standing outside a faculty member's home and yelling a homophobic slur and, and shouting, hope you die of AIDS. Um, and, and that, and Teal defended that as a, as a, as a free speech action and as, as, and, 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 def, and, and went after the administration for, uh, condemning that, um, you know, his, his editor, uh, one of the editors at the Stanford Review uh, created this, created a rape issue, you know, in, in 1992 when Teal was still involved with the paper. That guy, David Sachs, is a, a major figure in Silicon Valley now. And, you know, that issue basically treated date rape as if it were kind of a fake thing. Um, and so so he's always been kind of pushing this stuff. So it's not that surprising, honestly, that when, you know, folks like Milo, uh, you know, and et cetera, come out and start, you know, really pushing the envelope on on race and, you know, on gender all over again and, and getting really into Donald Trump, that Peter Thiel would be right there. I mean, and, and I think it's a big part of the reason why Thiel, you know, saw Trump as, as being somebody who could win the election. And I think with somebody like this, I mean, you have to, um, you know, of course, I think it's really important to scrutinize Thiel's ideology and his methods and, 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 and and criticize where appropriate. But I think even when you're criticizing, you have to respect it, right? Because he he saw Trump when when very few people realized that Trump was was going to be this force. He saw that that this kind of blend of you know provocation and nationalism and just like willingness to say you know whatever and uh, that that would be powerful. And 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 he attached himself to Trump before a lot of the kind of mainstream you know Republican establishment you know saw it for better or worse. Hey everyone, we finally have podcast subscriptions. Get exclusive subscribers-only podcasts with interviews, our personal opinions on current events, and coming soon, early access to our public releases for only $6.99 a month. Subscribe on Anchor right now. Right, and you know, he has a short background, I guess, in South Africa. Allegedly, he told two of his classmates at, at Stanford, he denies this claim, um, but that, that uh, he thought South Africa's former apartheid uh, system of government was a quote unquote sound uh, economic system. Again, he denies that claim. But going backwards, do you think anything uh, in his background growing up in South Africa and Southern Africa um, during the apartheid era affects what we're seeing from him today or at all? 
so I think, you know, you gotta, um, you gotta separate, you know, the sort of actions of his parents with himself, you know, I mean, he, he wound up in, in, in South Africa and Southwest Africa, modern day Namibia, um, you know, at a, at a uranium mine where his, his father worked and, you know, of course, mining uranium in South Africa in the 1970s has serious political implications because South Africa was doing that because they wanted to get a nuclear weapon and they wanted a nuclear weapon because they wanted to preserve uh, the apartheid system. But that doesn't, you know, again, that's, that's Teal's a, a, a child during that period. So I don't think, I, I'm not sure that we can ascribe, you know, we can ascribe all of that to him. But I do think that the, having that background caused him to react, you know, in a very specific way when he got to Stanford, because you get to Stanford, right? And, um, the the anti-apartheid activism was like a really major force on college campuses, you know, you know, all around the country, right? It's it's something that liberals were really enthusiastic about, um, and I think somebody like Teal, who you know is a you know who who had who had who had that background, who kind of felt like the world was against him, is was apt to take that as kind of a personal attack, as as not just an attack on you know on an idea and an economic system, but as something that 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 personally said something about him. And I think that may be part of the reason that you know for those comments that that that, that you that you registered. I also think it's important to say you know back then. Um, the defending apartheid was something that a lot of, you know, mainstream, not mainstream, but, you know, you, you heard that on college campuses that, oh, it's this is an economic system and, you know, we shouldn't get involved with that. And and I think it's important to remember that Teal, as much as a, you know, political rabble rouser he was, he was really swimming in a stream where that kind of thing was encouraged. So so he was, you know, his newspaper, the Stanford Review, was, you know, kind of modeled after the, the Dartmouth Review, which is the Dinesh D'Souza you know, newspaper uh, started, you know, just a couple of years earlier. There's also the Cornell Review, which is Ann Coulter. So there's a whole kind of school of kind of bomb throwing conservatives who rose up during that era and kind of helped create the vocabulary and the language and even some of the methods that we saw, you know, deployed by Donald Trump and, and by the right, um, you know, starting in, in uh, 2016. I could talk to you for hours, brother. Uh, have you last two questions? Have you met Peter Thiel before? And, uh, also has he had any thoughts on the book? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I approach this as kind of a journalistic project, you know, I'm talking to, of course, you know, friends, his, his, his former colleagues, his former employees, his, you know, his classmates, you know, anyone who would talk to me, but also of course, Peter Thiel. And I approached, um, him through a PR representative very early in the process and, you know, had a lot of back and forth and actually met with him, uh, while I was, you know, reporting the book uh, off the record, um, you know, can't share any of any of the details. And what I can tell you is he, you know, declined ultimately to offer me anything on the record. He also, um, you know, at the end of the process, again, because I'm, you know, this is like a kind of standard journalism, but, you know, presented his, uh, you know, PR person with a, a, you know, a long list of fact checking questions. Um, and again, no, no response. Um, I've heard, I've heard through intermediaries, he's, he's read the book. I think he, he takes issue with some of it, although he hasn't, um, he hasn't said anything specific. I mean, what we have seen is some of his allies have come out and, and attacked the book as, as I totally expected, because the thing is, you know, Teal has kind of created this mythology and, and the mythology works both ways, by the way, there's the, there's the kind of Peter Teal as the kind of le- uh, right wing villain, um, that you sometimes see on the left. And also Peter Teal as this like Ayn Randian Superman, who's a builder and an great man of ideas. And, and I think, 
um, for his allies, the, the extent to which the book, you know, undermines, you know, both of those um, mythologies, which of course both contain truth, but are not the truth. I think that is very upsetting. And, 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 and there is this kind of, you know, <laughs> unspoken agreement in Silicon Valley, right. That everyone needs to, you know, be extra nice to Peter Thiel. So because, because he has a lot of power and, and, and to the extent that the book is critical, that has uh, generated some, some backlash, but it's, it's backlash that I'm happy um, is there because I, I really want I really want there to be a conversation about this. I think this person is is very powerful. The companies he's behind, uh, you know, are too powerful just to to kind of ignore. And so 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 happy to have that debate. The book is Contrarian: Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. Buy it now via the link in the episode's notes. And I don't say that about books very often, as y'all know. Uh, Max Chafkin, you can follow him o- online on Twitter at c h a f K-I-N. Thank you very much, Max. I, I, ho- I hope you uh, come back on the show in the near, near future and appreciate your book. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Happy to do it anytime. This was really, really fun. Thanks again to Max Chafkin for taking the time. Thanks to the best producer in the world, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com for more episodes. Thanks again for listening.